and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia and this is my co-host Morgan. Hello. So this week we're going to be talking about Logan, the third and hopefully final solo Wolverine movie. Not hopefully final in that we didn't like it because we really fucking loved this movie, but Wolverine has had a long span of time in the cinema. This is his 17th year on screen. He's been in eight movies many films too many one might argue (laughs) um and it's time to retire him which is kind of what this movie is about it's like a really amazing finale to like his whole role in the the x-men franchise which morgan and i love if you follow us on twitter you will see that our joint overinvested podcast um photo banner is a screenshot from x-men and my personal photo banner is also a screenshot from x-men which i (laughs) occasionally remember because one doesn't really look at one's own twitter feed and then i'll be like oh yeah everyone who like comes to my Twitter looking for, I guess, possibly journalism, is gonna find like a <laughs> giant photo of Magneto. And I'm like, well, I can't I can't change it. Like I mean I can't I, I can't remove the photo of Magneto. So Yeah. It reflects your deep inner self, Gabby. So it's perfect. <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing because it's like I want to say this is the best X-Men movie, but you can't really judge it like that because it's so radically different from the other ones. Like I love the other X-Men movies for other reasons and also they're a lot of them are like quite ridiculous and they're also teen movies. Whereas this one is, you know, an adult rated action movie where one of the main characters is a 90 year old man who's dying of a neurological illness. So <laughs> it's like it's not really the same thing. <laughs> well, yeah, the other X-Men movies are quite campy. Yes. And this is not. This is like the reverse of campy, which is also quite an achievement because it's Wolverine and also because of the fact that it's like a hardcore action movie. It's basically a parody of every manly cliche because it's like Wolverine obviously has always been this like steroided up like lumberjack dude who like just sits around drinking beer and like punching people and it's really emotionally closed up and it's very violent and you know the trailer is all like it's black and white and gritty and has a Johnny Cash soundtrack and like somehow they managed to execute that without me personally finding it obnoxious because the emotional journey was so tight and well realized that it didn't become like a ludicrous macho parody. So well done. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, not at all. And it is sort of on an artistic level, objectively, I think better than all the other films, but it is trying to do something fundamentally different. Yeah, and for um, a different audience as well. You know, it's it's R-rated. And I think that gave them the freedom to, like, do more mature storylines, which is an unfortunate facet of Hollywood filmmaking. Yes. Know? Although, I think the R-rating is something that's interesting. How would you compare this to Deadpool? I mean... Because I did not see Deadpool. I, I went on strike. Yeah. I was like, I do not need to experience I mean, this. I was the only comic book movie critic that I saw that didn't like Deadpool. <laughs> I found it incredibly annoying. The sense of humour that Deadpool has is not the same as my sense of humor. Um, yes. I find it very obnoxious and also like, as a superhero movie, like structurally, it's very following the formula, right? And you know, it's about like a guy who gets superpowers and is in a lot of pain all the time. And there's lots of jokes and action scenes. The action scenes are like not that great. Um, and then he like saved the girl at the end. So I get that the script is wittier than other superhero movies, I guess, but I did not care at all. So I would definitely put Wolverine like a million miles above this. And I would also prefer if this is kind of the film that people thought about more in terms of how to influence future films. But I feel like kind of the message that's going to come from both of these movies is just like, what if we just make more R-rated violent movies? Which is not the qualities that... Because the qualities that people like about Deadpool is that it's weird compared to other superhero movies. And it's got like a really, not Tarantino-esque, but a pop culture savvy, funny script. 
And the thing that's good about Logan is that it's mature and doesn't talk down to its audience and is emotionally intelligent and has really great characterization. And also really like high level of violence, but it's not like you can't get that in other places. <laughs> yes. So I have so much to say about that, but first we should quickly summarize the plot of the film, I think. Yeah. Um, in case people haven't seen it, although we definitely both recommend it. Basically, this takes place in, I think, 2029? Mm-hmm. Near future, yeah. certainly. And it's sort of vaguely dystopian in the sense that everything seems kind of wrong and there are no more mutants being born. But they don't go into a great deal of detail about all of that, which I think works really well for the film because they don't have to have a lot of exposition yeah. about, you know, the government, blah, blah, blah. It's not necessary. It's not what the movie's about. And uh, Logan is working basically as an Uber driver, <laughs> which is very yes. funny. Um, and it's not doing so hot. And he's got Professor X south of the border living... I don't even what even he's was living in an that? abandoned watchtower because like, basically yeah. Professor X has a brain disease that means that he gets seizures and obviously if you're like a telepath that's bad. So Wolverine is like taking care of him in this shielding kind of layer of metal in this uh, water tower in Mexico. But Professor X is like ninety and because he's so drugged up all the time he's kind of being kept prisoner while also being cared for by Wolverine and he Wolverine has this friend. Um, this mutant named Caliban who's played by Stephen Merchant and is like a really he's kind of the Igor character like he's this guy who can't go out in the sunlight he's more of a functional person than Wolverine because at this point Wolverine's like dialed up to 11 he's incredibly fucked up he's like constantly in pain because his healing factor is going down and he's an alcoholic and Caliban is kind of at home being like I know we're in this impossible situation where we're living underground because we're mutants and we have to take care of this really sick 90 year old man but maybe you should like go to a doctor or something you fucking idiot you know? <laughs> uh. <laughs> yes and so then this woman tracks logan down and tells him he needs to take her and this little girl up north to get them to canada and you will be shocked to discover that this little girl is a mutant oh my god yeah and then the movie turns into a sort of road trip of them running away from the bad guys who are not well developed. Yeah. I mean the bad they guys I think it's one of those things where bad. they don't they don't really need to though because it's like the bad guys basically are mercenaries, right? And the guy who plays the lead bad guy, like he's fine, but like it's not a film that's suffering from the villains being underdeveloped because the situation is kind of the villain as well. Yes, I thought mm-hmm. that they could have been better executed <clears throat> because in practice they're kind of non-entities. There's like brawn and then brains behind the villain yeah. operation, as there often is yeah. in this case. And the brains is played by Richard E. Grant, who I thought he was name... the weak point. Well, right, he's a really good actor. He's been in a bajillion things, yeah. but he had like three scenes and like five lines. I mean, I him. when I was watching it, I was thinking that his role was the one role that felt like it was in the normal X Men movie because he's basically playing the evil scientist, whereas the um, mercenary guy. You know, it's a completely functional action movie trope and he's performing that villain role well. But like you also understand the power balance of him being like a human who can definitely just get torn apart by Wolverine if Wolverine fights him. Yeah, I thought the performance of that guy was really good. And I think on the page, he probably was nothing. And so he he did a really good job with the nothing that he had to make it persuasive on screen. Yeah, he's got not a lot of panache, um, like, that guy. <laughs> yeah, Boyd Holbrook, I believe. Yeah. 
I didn't think this was like a massive issue with the movie, but I thought it was kind of one of the weaker spots because they're on the run and you do get the sense of urgency of them really needing to get away from these guys. But the threat is very generalized Mm -hmm. and you are more afraid of the situation than the people. And that's fine. But I think if the people themselves had been more frightening, that it probably would have worked better. But the focus of the movie is not on that it is on the main characters. I mean, I'm not going to spoil the end, but I think we kind of have to extrapolate slightly more on the kid. You know, she has the same powers as Wolverine, and we discover that she was born and raised in a lab where Richard E. Grant's mad scientist character, I mean, I think he either employed, or I think it's probably more likely that he kidnapped and enslaved a bunch of women, and then they were impregnated with X-Men or mutant genes. So there's this group of kids who've been born in secret who are possibly the first mutants to have been born in like 20 years. And this is the first one that Professor X and Wolverine have come across. So the idea is that they're all trying to get across the border to Canada to this place called Eden, paying tribute to Children of Men's Eden Project. It's very clearly the film is like paying tribute to Children of Men because it's exactly the same concept and structure. And it's also like a political dystopia. But I think they kind of they managed to balance it quite well because Children of Men is one of the best movies of the 21st century. And if they tried to make this film any more politically complex, it would have sucked because it would have been like too similar and you just can't live up to a film of that quality. But yeah. they, they kept like a nice balance of it being like a straightforward action movie and having these kind of world building elements in the background that were really effective. Yeah, I think so. And certainly the there have been no children and then there is this new person is directly from that. But by having the emotional connection with the protagonist, they go for a more paternal thing. Whereas in Children of Men, obviously, the Clive Owen character just winds up with this random person. And it works really well, but it's not. It's just doing a different thing. And it works really well with Wolverine specifically. Actually, yeah. Can I just talk about Wolverine for a second? (laughs) By all means. Yeah, because the thing that I always really want to see in X-Men movies, if they're going to keep making like a million films with Wolverine in a central role, is him hanging out with a teenage girl because that's one of my favorite things they have from the comics and it's the first x-men movie basically rogue is the protagonist and wolverine is the secondary protagonist and then all of the x-men characters are the surrounding people because they are sort of the entry point who've not met the x-men yet right and they have this really lovely relationship just like in the comics and then the later films kind of pan the focus round to just making wolverine an action hero And, like, the X-Men franchise doesn't actually need classic, tough, manly action hero role. It's just the people who are making the films think that that's, like, a necessary thing you have to have as a protagonist. So we've now had, like, six movies that's about three white men with slightly differing political opinions arguing about the best way to fight oppression. So it's like, this is a terrible plan. (laughs) (laughs) Also, like, Wolverine's character development has been repeated a bunch of times. So he doesn't, yes. he's kind of static. And also because of the changing timelines, they don't have like a really coherent through line for him. Whereas in this, they've taken kind of the core facets of his character. Like the idea is that he, you know, he's really cynical about the kind of mutant cause. But in the other films, deep down, he really wants to be kind of brought around to being more optimistic. Like he wants to have a family and friends, but because he's like a 200 year old guy who's been tortured for decades, it's kind of hard for him to open up to that. The original X-Men trilogy allows him to do that by him joining the X-Men and moving into the mansion and making friends with Rogue and Jean Grey. And in this, he's just been alone for like 30 years. He's been taking care of Professor X by himself, which is like not something he's good at. 
and there's no young people for him to take care of. So like, obviously he's a huge, miserable, angry fuck up who's taking out his rage on everyone. But then like, once you provide him with like a child, once the child has like forced him to be like a nice person, (laughs) that's the journey. And it completely makes sense in the context of his character without them like over-egging the idea of him being like a bit more paternal. Because it does take like a really long time for him to open up to this kid. And he barely does. Yeah, he barely does. He really doesn't become nice. No, he doesn't. At any point. Which is... Which I, is was, I admired yeah, I the that. level of them <laughs> not making him nice. They give you very little catharsis. Mm. It's just enough to be very emotionally satisfying. Yeah, it, the movie is really emotionally effective, but not particularly sentimental. Um, which I found very effective, and I admired their restraint a lot most i mean there are not very few movies like this but most big films that would go anywhere near a plot line like this would approach it very very differently and i thought that the way that they did this was very impressive my main issue with this film which i think i liked slightly less than you i thought it was very good i didn't think it was great was that i thought there was no reason for this movie to be rated r and you've seen all this sort of headlines with James Mangold, the director, saying, we farted the R rating, it was so necessary to this film, it was like it made the movie what it was. And I was watching it, and I just kept thinking, what? <laughs> you did not need this. And it was interesting, because I'd seen, I'd seen some tweets from a, a film critic I follow, uh, Nathaniel Rogers, before the movie came out, I, I guess after it had screened and the embargo had been lifted and everyone was talking about it, all the film critics who'd seen it, I mean, and he'd been saying, most of the re- reactions were ecstatic, and he was saying, "I this w- was way too violent, and kids are going to see this, because even though it's rated R, this is a family franchise, basically, and kids love Wolverine, and parents will take their children, even though it is rated R, this is going to happen, and they're going to see all this violence, and I was kind of like, well, but... If they had an artistic vision, like, it's not their responsibility to that. And within, like, five minutes, I was like, children will see this film and it's way too violent. I was like, I'm an old lady. But the level of violence, I don't think, was necessary to the story that they were telling. You can get away, unfortunately, with a huge amount of violence in PG-13 movies because they don't care about that. They only care about sex. That you cannot do. I mean, also, like, Um, the entire X-Men franchise has... Every single movie has included scenes where, like, Wolverine just, like, rips his shirt off and cuts off someone's head, you know? It's just like, right. you can't show the blood, because <laughs> that's the Right, problem. which is the <laughs> absurd thing, yeah. But there are a number of scenes where he just, like, sticks his claws through someone's skull. I mean, I couldn't keep track. It was endless. And I got what they were trying to do, but I don't think it was necessary. And then especially near the beginning of the film... I think you could kind of feel them thinking to themselves, oh, we are, we've got an R rating. We can do what we want. So the first scene with Professor X, you've just got Patrick Stewart like saying fuck a bunch. And I thought- I loved Patrick Stewart saying fuck a bunch. <laughs> but it, it felt so clearly to me. And I mean, I have lived most of my life in Boston, New York. So this does not scandalize me, but it felt not 
necessary and like they just could do it so they were going to as opposed to, like there's a scene later in the movie where uh logan's car breaks down and he just screams fuck several times and i was like see that is a thing that an adult person would do and then at one point he's driving a bunch of girls around in his fake uber situation and she like pulls her top down and you see her breath i was like I was must like, wait must wait right like, it's so clear that they can do it so they're going to And I think they could pretty easily actually have sort of cut things and then as they were filming, plan for the violence. And I think the movie would have been much better because I think they relied on the violence too much. And then I think the story is very strong, but I think the story would have been stronger if they had had to sort of come up with some stuff to do that wasn't just like and then there he's gonna cut some people up for 10 minutes it was also like two hours and 20 minutes long which is very long for a film so they could have also just made it shorter by not having all that and i just found it not that interesting to watch there'd be really long scenes and i was at a certain point i was like i we're gonna stick him through the shoulder again like okay Um, you see i was i was less bothered by the violence i think partly because I just went to Glasgow Film Festival and coincidentally almost all of the movies I saw were like way too violent so my scale was like too high. So I watched this and I was like well <laughs> it's quite normal to watch films and have to like close your eyes occasionally so this is completely fine and also I'd just seen John Wick twice. Um, so I was like less bothered by the violence but I do also agree that it wasn't all wholly necessary. I think people who are fans of um, the Old Man Logan comics which this is like very loosely inspired by I think they will appreciate this more because like I think part of the draw is people some people just want to watch a really brutal um, Wolverine movie which is fine but I kind of feel like the violence is going hand in hand with the mature subject matter not in terms of quality but in terms of them getting the film made almost because they made a really big deal out of this is going to be an R-rated movie and then when you actually watch it it's like yes the violence is R-rated but the subject matter and the way they tell the story is so much more mature than any other superhero movie because they've just made an adult drama about like a really old man and like another really old man who looks like a middle-aged man and they're both going through like horrible circumstances and the political stuff that goes on in the background is more low-key than the more easily explained stuff in the other X-Men movies so like you know they meet up with a family whose water supply is being cut off We'll discuss dystopian stuff in a minute, but like in the background, you know, they've got kind of automated vehicles and that sort of thing. So it requires like a bit more background knowledge and analysis. And I completely think that teenagers can handle this because teenagers aren't fucking idiots. But I think that the way that Hollywood views the difference between the PG-13 audience and the R-rated audience is very condescending. So they're like, oh yeah, PG-13 rated superhero movie is simple, it's full of explosions, there's a lot of CGI, you can have like a dark movie, but there'll be some jokes, you know, because like every superhero movie goes through like a really similar formula. Whereas this, because they had the freedom of being an R-rated movie with a lower budget, that allowed them to have a better story and emotional arc. Yes, although R-rated movies of this genre, price range, whatever, always make less money. So you would think that they would rather have a PG-13 movie that would make them more money. Even talking up the violence, and this movie opened to like $80 million, it's going to make a fuckload of money. And obviously Deadpool made a ton of money, but basically PG-13 movies make more. I mean, I think they were in a unique position because Hugh Jackman has made like a million movies for this studio. So he's sort of Robert Downey Jr., 
for like, Fox <laughs> Studios, right? And also he was probably like, well, finally I'm going to retire. And also he took a pay cut. Right. And he had a vision. So whoever is responsible for the vision, I think I mean, the violence was... James Mangold. Like, J- James Mangold made the last Wolverine movie as well, which I've actually not seen, but I've heard is relatively good. And then I think for this one, he was like, I'm going to pull out all the stops and do something like actually thoughtful. And yes. he somehow managed to get that done. <laughs> I mean, he's actually a director. Like, he made Walk the Line, which I don't love, but is a real yeah. movie. So it's not like the Russo brothers or whatever yeah. who no disrespect, but are just TV guys who somehow wound up in the nightmare scenario of making Infinity Wars, which is not a job I would wish on anyone. <laughs> uh, don't mind me. Ooh. And uh, it's probably not going to be an artistic masterpiece, shall we say. So sad after the wonders of Captain America Winter Soldier, a masterpiece. Yeah. But not as well directed no, as this no, film. obviously. Shall we say. But sort of staying on the same theme of the plot structure of this, despite my reservations about it, it was interested to sort of observe about myself and the experience of watching it and then thinking about it afterwards. I definitely enjoyed this while I was watching it, despite my reservations and i got really emotional at the end which is very sad as i'm sure you've all heard because the response of every single person who's seen it has been i cried at the end which i did not because i never cried i didn't cry at the end but i cried whenever the children were in trouble they were in trouble at the end they were in trouble i I think i cried i probably cried a little bit then but i think i cried more earlier because they were so helpless and i was really upset (laughs) (laughs) um but it is much more common for me to watch something and think, oh, that was like, okay, I guess. And then later when I think about it more, realize that actually it was really bad, which is what happened with La La Land, yes, the, the, the three months after La La Land were like a descent from that was an okay movie to basically writing a PhD on why it's garbage. Right. <laughs> Apart from the analysis. <laughs> In my defense, it wasn't totally the backlash. Like, within a couple hours No, no, I mean, that, I was there I was watching like, it in oh. real time, and I also, like, agree with that, because I basically had the same reaction. But, I mean, I did not care as much. Yes. But with this film, like, I definitely liked it, and I found it very emotionally moving. And even just in a couple days of having seen it, I still don't think it was a masterpiece or anything, but I found myself thinking very positively of it. And that is a much less common thing for me and I think it really is they got the most important thing about a movie right and that is all of the feelings and emotions which for any film is difficult to do but for a superhero movie is completely unusual and really great for Patrick Stewart because like I love all of the X-Men movies but Patrick Stewart's personal role is like one of the less interesting because like in the films where he is prominent as Xavier he's basically just playing the sort of nice old man mentor role and you can kind of read subtext into it you can be like oh he's quite manipulative or whatever but James McAvoy has like a much more interesting version of that character to play yeah and they kind of brought in Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart to make the films have these really serious respected actors and this was the films that made them a thing in Hollywood because it was before that it was either you were like oh I know him from Star Trek or oh I know him because I really love Shakespeare in theatre you know this film gave him a really incredible role right (laughs) and I was just thinking how like I couldn't fit it into my review but I really wanted to put in a bit about how they've got him through like the seven stages of man because like this is him in the final stage and it's so good and so upsetting and also really um in character in maybe a slightly unexpected way because 
Professor X has gone through several different types of characterization through the franchise that don't necessarily tie together in an immediately obvious way because he's introduced as this kind of cliched mentor figure. And then in the prequels, they massively dial that back. And they're just like, when he was young, he was a huge douchebag, which makes sense if you think about it, but like, it's not maybe what people would immediately expect. And then over the course of the James McAvoy movies, he's like still a douchebag, but he's sort of, you can tell that he's created this self-image of himself as like this really great teacher who's leading the mutant rights movement. And it's like, you're still a dick. So this is sort of at the other end where Professor X no longer has to put on any kind of respectable persona. And he also doesn't really have power. And he's really like upset and he's also confused because he's always having to take all his medications. So they've created this really complex, interesting and like really quite upsetting role that also doesn't try to make Professor X very likable. He's trying to make Wolverine do the right thing, but he's not trying to get him to do that in like the right way. So it just creates more tension between them. He's not executing that conflict well because he's like not got the patience anymore and he's just frustrated with Wolverine. I mean, I found him... Well, one, I... Especially in the first scene where he appears, I just kept thinking, oh my god, it's like the serious theatre actor version of Patrick (laughs) Stewart in this film. And I have seen him in multiple plays and I just was so thrilled that this was happening on the screen. But I found him completely sympathetic because he's just an old man who's being yanked well, around. I find him and sympathetic, but I don't take drugs. Yeah, no, I mean, I felt really bad for him. Like, I found him sympathetic, <laughs> but I didn't. I don't think the film was trying to be like, oh, here's like a really likable old man in the same way as the original trilogy. I think they've made an effort to make him a lot more flawed in the same way that the film keeps the flaws that Wolverine has in the other films, but um, doesn't frame them in a way that is trying to make it seem like he's like a cool man action hero, right? Well, I think it's that he's it's more complex but not like when he's lying it's clearly because he's trying to be helpful yes and he's not really aware enough to know that it might not be and often frankly he's right so yeah i mean he is right like i I, Um, he is right compared to wolverine wolverine is basically wrong because he's like the best way to deal with this horrible situation is to isolate myself and be horrible to everyone it's like of course you're wrong right (laughs) yeah but what also i think worked really well was that they just lowered the stakes on um, a global in a global way, massively. So which is what every, every action super- here is. Every superhero movie needs oh this. Oh my god! <laughs> it's like there's a MacGuffin that shines in some bright colored way, and it's gonna blow the whole universe up. And someone better stop it. And this, obviously, you have the context of there are no more mutants being born, and then you have this small group of kids and they have to escape which is a big deal but in a practical sense it's a pretty small sequence like there aren't that many people when you have this sort of final confrontation but the basic story is just three people essentially and it feels really serious because to them it is the end of the world because they might die. Yeah, they might die. Their whole like, <laughs> mutant kind is gone. This kid represents their future. I think it also is like a much better execution of the politics behind X-Men than a lot of the other films because the whole concept of X-Men is like an ongoing struggle for freedom against oppression, right? And, you know, that's what it is in the kind of the larger framework of the franchise and in the comics. But if you tell that story in movies through a series of these like apocalyptic events, which you then defeat, it creates this kind of emotional illusion that you've beaten something, right? But obviously you can't beat the concept of oppression through blowing up like a giant light bulb or something. Whereas in this, (laughs) 
the bigotry and the hatred is one. They're living in this world that is much closer to our own because real life is a dystopia. It's like all the stuff that's bad in this movie is stuff that's already bad now. You know, detention camps, agribusiness ruining everything, you know, not having the power to live freely. And there's also like a lot of themes of border crossings in this movie because it's all about, you know, trying to get across the border. But interestingly, like trying to get out of America, which is a... which yes. is a very very relevant uh, thing right now. But um, <laughs> indeed, but like because it's not trying to say we're gonna beat this enemy, the concept of oppression. It, it just feels so much more real because you can't do that with two old men, and what they're actually trying to get is hope. So it's sort of the same driving force that you get in Children of Men and in Snowpiercer. In terms of casting, like it's an interesting trope that I think is positive and negative at the same time because there's still stories that are about a white male action hero going through this story but then the individual that's like benefiting from this is someone who represents the future which is a woman of color which is what you get in each of those other films so it politically has this message that i agree with but also in the wider context of hollywood obviously hollywood is keeping making these films so like the person who's in the foreground is chris evans or hugh jackman but you know that that's that's a far more complex thing that we don't need to go into <laughs> But I thought I thought in this they did about as well as they could. No, no I agree. It's I totally obviously agree. Still, like it's not like they're going to get rid of. No, no. I mean, I, I agree. Like um, I think it was really well executed in this because in the other X Men movies, time and time again they have the opportunity to be like, we're going to have Rogue in the foreground or Storm in the foreground, and every single fucking time they're like, well, I think it'd be really good if we had another story where Professor X gets like half an hour of screen time, and then they hire like a really famous Chinese actress for a cameo who's in there for like ten seconds with one line, and it's like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> like they don't need to do that but they keep doing it whereas in this they've taken two characters who've been in all of the films but haven't necessarily been explored to the depth that's required and they're using those characters popularity in like a really smart way to tell a story that is like about a young latina girl trying to cross the border and having a bunch of assholes chase after her the way they cast the villains and the way the world is framed like it's very obvious that this is a world that's been completely fucked over by patriarchal capitalism Yes. And basically everyone, Stephen Merchant, is who plays Caliban, is white. But essentially everyone they cast, except the bad guys, besides Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart, is a person of color. Which I thought, good job. So within the sort of bounds of what they were given, I thought it was pretty... A, a good a good effort i mean self-aware in a way that the other X-Men movies aren't. Because like, yes. the other X-Men movies have this huge casting problem, which is completely unself-aware and is being criticized for like a decade yes and they're never going to change <laughs> no although now mcavoy and fassbender and jennifer lawrence may all be done and then where will they be the next movie is going to be might... about jean gray yeah but um what was i gonna say oh the girl in this is just unbelievable she's so good. oh my god she's like 10 years old or something and she is just astonishing she has to do all this martial arts stuff she doesn't talk for like the first half of the movie and conveys so and much she's really funny as well like yes. her interactions with logan are just so funny because she's obviously like this horribly traumatized young girl who also hasn't really interacted with the real world because she's been living in a lab for 10 years but like she's also such a kid her interactions with logan are great because like he obviously is cold and awful and closed off but she's not reacting exactly as like a normal child would because of her background so she's able to stick up with his fuckwittedness like she can drive a car you know <laughs> but like they don't have it be like it's so cool that a 10 year old could drive a car it's like lol she's a tiny girl and logan's a fuck up and he's drunk and falling asleep at the wheel like <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Yeah, and I was looking at some interviews with Hugh Jackman. He basically said when they weren't shooting, she was just like a small child who was like running around, you know, acting like a. T- I mean, I don't know exactly how old she is 10, 12, whatever. And then they'd shoot, and she'd be like, okay, I'm serious stuff. Oh, that's amazing. Like, Why? Oh, I don't God, understand. So it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so all the acting was just incredible. I mean, Hugh Jackman just pulls the movie through any sort of little bumps it has, they're going to campaign the shit out of him in Oscar season next year. I'm calling it now. They're going to try real hard. They tried for fucking Deadpool. I if mean, they were if making Deadpool an effort for that. a Screen Actors Guild Award, then... It did not win it, well, no, if, Sorry, if it could be nominated Award. for Screen Actors Guild Award, then... Did, did it get... I don't think it got nominated. I think it did get nominated. It got nominated for a Golden Globe. I'm going to look this up. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> So it got nominated at the Golden Globes because the comedy categories. He did not get nominated at the SAGs. I'm glad that I knew that because that would have been a real sort of moment of self-doubt. Oh, it was the Screenwriters Guild, wasn't it? Like, wasn't the script nominated? Oh, the WGA. WGA. Yes. Right. Okay, I that's what I was so. thinking of. But yeah, I mean, I would completely get behind Logan being nominated for an acting Oscar. Either of them. Either Patrick Stewart or... I mean, or, Patrick Stewart, um, Definitely. Hugh Jackman was better than, I would say, I didn't see Andrew Garfield, but probably four of the five nominees this year. So by all means, let's go for it. We were just saying that, like, well, no superhero movies really are good enough for this stuff. And here we are. I'm I'm on board. That would Never be fun for everyone. Never let us say that we don't change our minds. Indeed. I was just saying to you uh, right before we started recording that... Hugh Jackman's next film is, I believe, a circus musical that is coming out on Christmas. I'm so, so hyped. I just hope they don't keep threatening to bring back Wolverine and Professor X. I mean, I think they're done, I, right? I think they're done. I think they're done. Patrick Stewart is too old. He is, seems to be in very good shape, but I think he's I mean, just, he doesn't look like he's I, aged in the entire 17-year period of the X-Men movies, visually. I, I think that he's probably just... Like, I'm done with this. I have done this for too long. Yeah. I want to do plays and sit at home with my beautiful... Is she an opera singer wife? She think jazz she's a jazz singer. singer. Yeah, she's a jazz singer. They seem to have a very singer. happy life. <laughs> yes. Hang out with Ian McKellen. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Ian McKellen is now... Who's older than Patrick Stewart is old. Like, he's very old now. Um, he's playing King Lear this year. How is he going to do it? That's I mean, I think it's more like he he looks older than Patrick Stewart because Patrick Stewart has incredible skin. But, you know, mentally, he's still... Oh, like, mentally! Like, that's, like, no, that's not the fine. issue. I mean, physically, like, I've, I've heard from people... Oh, right. Well, I mean, he had quite... cancer. Yeah. And then Hugh Jackman, I think... I Just let him eat. Let him eat something other than chicken breasts. I will post the clip from when he was on Stephen Colbert talking about the prep he has to do for shooting a movie like this well basically he said he has had to be on his sort of diet regimen for 17 years which is terrifying and inhuman but then specifically what he has to do to in the lead up before shooting one of these movies before this shirtless scene it's a three-month preparation and then for the week or something before you do it you drink gallons of water a day maybe it's like three days or something and then the 36 hours before you don't drink any water 
to lose 10 pounds of water weight. <laughs> what? <laughs> everything was... everything about the things that people have to go through to play action heroes in Hollywood is fucking nightmare. This is so he was destructive. Just, he, was sort of, <laughs> he was sort of reciting this with this look on his face like he knew that this was really bad. And he kept sort of turning to the audience and saying... Don't do this. Like, don't do this. This is a really bad idea. And I always think about it when I'm watching movies because, like, I've read so much about the workout regimes. And also, like, they talk about it as part of the promo, right? Like, they talk about all yeah. the stuff they go through because it's, like, oh, it's really impressive. And I'm like, it's not necessary. Like, the worst one I remember is the one that um, Anthony Mackie had to do for Captain America Winter Soldier because he had to also go through all this prep, right? And I'm like... He's wearing a sweatshirt for the whole movie. He could literally be the same Anthony Mackie as he was before, and he would, he doesn't need to be training for three hours a day. It's completely insane. Nuts. I mean, Wolverine and looks best in the first Wolverine movie, where he I just know, looks like a muscular normal man. It's like it's so. I mean, Morgan and I have yelled about this for probably hours collectively by but, this point. But like, the worst point is X Men: Days of Future Past when he like wakes up in the past and there's like a oh. new scene, and it's meant to be like you know, showing off how powerful and sexy Wolverine is. And it's, like, the most horrifying thing ever. Because he's, he's like, if you've ever seen, like, um a prize bull, they've got all, like, the veins and stuff. <laughs> that they're, like, bred for agriculture shows. He looks like that. And because you do, like, a bunch of push-ups and crunches right before you go on camera, so all of your muscles are tense. And it's horrible. Just let them live. Let them be people. Stop making them go it's... on diets. The whole thing is, like, an eating disorder industry. It freaks me the fuck out. In case you it's can't really tell from disturbing. my voice. <laughs> and... Every time I watch an X-Men movie, I just think to myself, man, Fastbender and McAvoy really got the best deal out of this because they got to be in one of these movies and make a bunch of money and just not do this That's what I think when I watch the Star Trek movies, Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto just look like Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto because they just just have to be like men wearing Starfleet uniforms. And it's like, you are in the one franchise. (laughs) Yep. Oh my god. So I hope Hugh Jackman, he was saying in this interview, he's like, sometimes now I just get up in the middle of the night and eat something because I can't. I thought, oh my god, this is horrible. So I hope he now consumes food. Um, That's my dream for him. That he just gets to eat. Okay. And never does anything in a superhero movie ever Yeah, he doesn't have to do any action movies. Like, he's done his stint. He is now very famous. Everyone likes him. He should host the Oscars again. Yeah. He should do a bunch of plays. Do, mu- do all the musicals um, that are allegedly going to happen because of La La Land, you know. Right. Exactly. That is what I would love to see. Just all the, just please. Someone who the has opposite. the required skills to do a musical, doing a musical. <laughs> right. Please. Please. All the charm and the ability. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that Hollywood isn't knocking down the doors of him and Jake Gyllenhaal is quite frankly nonsense. And Janelle Monáe, come on. Now that they know about Jake Gyllenhaal, I think that that's going to be happening happening yeah. soon. I mean, this is definitely I a hope. wild tangent, but listeners, if you're not <laughs> aware that Jake Gyllenhaal has the voice of an angel, he did a Broadway show. He's very good. <laughs> we will post the link to this too. Why not? We're all over the place today. It's fine. Oh my God. It's so good. I've loved him since I was like 15 years old. And I really, I picked the right horse. I feel validated by this. 12 years later. Anyway, I think that's all we have to say about Logan. We'll end with Jake Gyllenhaal today. Yeah. (laughs) 
I think actually we've we've sort of decided we don't need to talk about the end of this film. So this is actually basically a spoiler-free podcast. I think we both yes. really appreciated the end, but it doesn't really warrant deep analysis in the context of this podcast. So yeah. It was good. Thank you for listening. Good ending. <laughs> yes. Next week we will be back talking about Legion. Yes, I believe. More X-Men so we're content. just gonna keep talking about the X-Men. <laughs> Legion is great. If you have not been watching, there have been four episodes so far? There has been four episodes. I am recapping every week, so um, you can find all of my recaps on the Daily Dot. I hope that people read them, because I want to do more recaps for other stuff. (laughs) Yeah, there will be a fifth episode this week, and if you're not watching, genuinely catch up to listen to our podcast next week. This show is so good. It's amazing it's very Um, esoteric it's very different from all of the other superhero shows and indeed most television because a lot of it is sort of a kaleidoscope montage (laughs) it's really weird it's so good dan stevens is great a plus recommendation from me uh so thank you for listening as always and if you enjoy this we would very much appreciate a rating or review on itunes it's how we find new listeners and you can find us on overinvestedpodcast.com on twitter at overinvestedpod or on tumblr at overinvestedpodcast thanks bye